Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Welcome, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to the Are You Listening podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm here with my friend Scott. Hello, hello, hello. And before we get started, I need to know what the fallout of the Brandon bombshells that dropped last episode is in the in, in your household. Oh man, the family has some words for you. There's like wanted posters up of me everywhere, and there is uh, well, there's a severe ear infection that happened after listening to the podcast last week. My negativity made it happen. That's what it is. My boy is not feeling good because of the words you said. There was wanted, dead or alive signs everywhere. Yeah. Uh, my sister has said that she's going to send you a Christmas hate card. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And I tried. Like, I tried. All, I, all I'm saying is, if there's that much fallout of the the little negativity that I had, do your family not know how negative you get about some things? Are your family unaware of your negativity? They're aware. That's the thing. They They know me. They know I'm negative about everything. They're actually very surprised in the positive things I say on this podcast. Oh. They're just not, they just weren't ready for you to, you know, garbage talk one of their favorite albums. Unfair. That is so unfair. <laughs> I did everything I could to stay out of a realm of any type of intentional negativity. <sighs> it was, it was, friend. it was criticism. It wasn't negativity. <laughs> no, they, everybody's good. They, it's, it's nothing. I know what state I need to avoid for a while. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, let's dive into this week's album. It is Emery's third album, I'm Only a Man. Brief reminder, and because I like to open every episode, like none, none of the other episodes were heard. Emery is a post-hardcore band currently from Seattle, but founded in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Uh, they moved to Seattle to reach a bigger music scene on 9-11-2001. It needs yeah. to be said every time. That's still so crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. They released two EPs, the Columbus EEPV and the Week's End EP, before signing and then putting out two albums, the Week's End and The Question. Uh, this was the follow-up to The Question, released October 2nd, 2007. All right, I'll, I'll start with what was going on in 07. In 06, a lot of people consider 06 like the peak of scene music, the peak of emo. It was at, at its heights right before mainstream 
latched onto it. And and then in 08, we had the scene crash and the rise of the neon scene. And I'm sure everybody who's listened to scene music is familiar with the neon scene. Oh, yeah. Which became the definer of emo music, that neon look for a while. And kind of was not what emo was to anybody else. Neon monster t-shirts. I remember those. Yes, yes. So this came out right in between kind of the peak of the scene and, you know, maybe maybe just the peak commercially right before it started to get too watered down by mainstream charts and then the the crash. So this was a transition of music for everybody, not just this band. Um, I have a few other records I could tell you that came out in October just to tell you kind of where we were in, you know, October of 07. Yeah. Uh, October 1st, Dashboard Confessionals, the, Sh- the Shade of Poison Trees came out. Not my favorite one of his. October 2nd, got this one just for you, added it last minute, Bruce Springsteen's Magic came out. There you go. Okay. <laughs> also October 2nd, Soldier Boy Tellem's album, SoldierBoyTellem.com. So we're at the peak of Crank That Soldier Boy. That's what's on this album. Oh, okay. All right. I gotcha. Everybody's doing that dance. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> Everybody's singing the song. October 2nd, We the King self-titled comes out. So this band that shot out about out of nowhere, Check Yes Joliet, exploded onto the charts and was everywhere. One of the biggest scene songs of maybe ever, realistically. It was everywhere. This is kind of where I dropped out of the scene. Actually. Yeah, a lot of people did. And, and that's yeah. why that's why a lot of people said it collapsed and then turned into the, the neon scene because commercial, yeah. it, it, to make it more commercial, they wanted it to be brighter and more attractive as opposed to the content and what was going on. Right. October 6th, Parkway Drive's Horizons came out. I do dig Parkway Drive, though. Oh, I'm a big Parkway Drive fan. Yeah. That's not one of my favorite of theirs, but no, I, it's still a Parkway Drive album is always listenable. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. October 9th, Band of Horses Cease to Begin, which I, I, I think I remember you never listened to Band of Horses. Nope, never. So I, they may be on the list because I may bring that, that might be the album I would bring to you also. Oh, okay, cool. Um, October 10th, Radiohead in Rainbows. Big one. I love that record. It's a big one. I've never listened to a Radiohead record. You've never listened to a Radiohead record? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. That's not the one I'm going to bring to you, but you are going to get one. October 16th, Jimmy World Chase the Light. That. So I have something about that. It's funny because okay. October 2007 is when I got married. Perfect. So... That Jimmy World record being my wife's favorite band, we bought it. I think it actually came out the week before our wedding. Okay. I bought it. And as part of our honeymoon, we drove to Cleveland to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we listened to that record on a loop the entire way. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. That's that's just perfect. I have really good memories about that record. That record is phenomenal. I love that record. And I, I knew your wife was a fan of this, which is why I was included. I'm trying to win back some win her back here. <laughs> you got to win her back. And then October 26th, Avenged Sevenfold self-titled came out. The self-titled. So the white the white one yeah. with um after with the bat was it Afterlife? I think was the one of the big hits on that one. I think so. But yeah, just that's where yeah. we were in music. That's it's a it's an interesting time. It's a very interesting time. Yeah, very um yeah, very interesting. I would use that word to describe that. And now I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to throw the Uno reverse card down. And I'm going to talk <laughs> about how this played in my personal music journey. I am very curious about this because you mentioned last week when you brought this record up. It's a tent post. Yeah. 
It's a big one. It may, it, it may not be one of the corners, but this one is necessary to support everything else that's happening. Okay. So I can pinpoint three specific albums that altered the way that I was listening to music and, and searching for music. Um, in June, the used Lies for the Liars came out, which is a, is a very different used album, but very, very. still much the used. Yeah. But people still, it's not people's favorite. I, no, I liked it a lot. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's it's more listenable than some of the later ones for me. There, there's a few for me that are just shrugs. Like it's still a used album; it's fine, but they're just kind of shrugs. Right. It um, lies for the liars was a grower on me. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was probably one of the first ones that were growers for me because I I remember picking it up, listening to it, and being like, uh, "This just doesn't feel right." It's like one I had to work on. To listen to. Okay. Now, if this would explain anything, this was a time where the used were being shot commercially through stuff. Like they had a song in a Transformers movie, which is wild. Right. I think I think Bird and the Worm was in a Transformers movie, which yeah. is that's the whole scene tapping into the mainstream at this point. Right. Not long after that, in August, Drop Dead Gorgeous Worse Than a Fairy Tale came out, which is a very unconventional record. I think I think that's something that can be said. Um, a lot of Drop Dead Gorgeous isn't necessarily, doesn't seem very conventional. Right. When we talked last week, yes. and I said that the cover of this Emery record reminded me of a cover. I wasn't sure if I listened to it. It was actually that record that... It was that Drop Dead record, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous record that uh, the cover reminded me of. And I, I could see it, like, especially during that time when you see album art as just thumbnails on an iPod. Like, that's kind right. of the only time you saw album art. So I could see the similarities there. Yeah. So we had Lies for the Liars and Worse Than a Fairy Tale. Two, I mean, for a used record, it's unconventional. And then right. coming from somebody who only kind of liked used heavier, the used heavier songs before then, like mm -hmm. my favorite used song was Choke Me, which is their probably heaviest song. Probably. And then this Emery album came out on October 2nd, 2007. So at this point, I had just reached a point where I had access to the Internet. Like I, I had, hmm. it had been sporadic before this point. Um, just like, you know, maybe the computer, maybe I had a computer in the house. Maybe I didn't for a while. I didn't just didn't have access, things like that. So I was just kind of stuck to what I owned on discs, CDs, whatever I had. Right. And then once I had access, I bought the biggest iPod I could find, downloaded anything <laughs> I could think of for and sure. just slammed it on there. So I was in a point of just searching for things. I think Drop Dead Gorgeous, I think that album, I've heard, I heard In Vogue, I think, before that. So that's what made me download mm -hmm. that. The Use, like I said, I liked The Use, The Choke Me, all, a couple of their heavier songs. And then that album stood out to me as though this is different. Maybe I can get into this. And then this album came out and I remembered Emery from walls. I don't think sure. I had, ex I don't think I had experienced the question or anything before I re got into this album. Okay. So then I downloaded, you know, those three among many other things. And then I would just put my iPod on shuffle and go through it. But all three of these albums stand out to me as just such a soundtrack of that time in my life because they, they just grabbed me. Yeah. And I can almost I can almost pinpoint the exact moment where this Emery album would have grabbed me. There is a there's a, a, a unclean vocals, a harsh vocals part in, I think, Don't Boris Get Us to the Chorus. And it sounds just like Mark Unseen from the Unseen. Like the scream is okay. very yeah. similar. It's a very right. hardcore punk type scream. And I would imagine that this was playing on shuffle. And I heard that part. 
I looked what it was and I said, I need to get into this album more. And that's what led me through this album. Gotcha. I, I have a lot of opinions about this album. I'm going to work them into, as you tell me, your opinions. <laughs> but those three albums made me want to go and experience other things, especially this one. At that point, I was listening to just either heavy, heavy, just, just, just no, like I said, barely any clean vocals, just heaviness. That's all I wanted. Or just like hardcore, hardcore hip hop. But this, this Emery album, I think without this album and how much different stuff this does, I would have never been interested or wanted to look into other genres of music. Cause this thing has so much going on with it. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. So I started doing this thing where as I'm listening, mm-hmm. After I have my own opinions and everything, I'm, I, I go into certain things like, I wonder what he's thinking about this as a whole. Like, I try to think of what you're thinking. Yeah. And I'm just going to lay out the, I don't know, the synopsis, I guess, of what I think that you see in this album. I like this. This is like our fortune teller section of yeah. the episode. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I think in the last, in, in when we listen to the question, mm-hmm. you mentioned on the opener of the question, so cool I can see my breath. That there's so many parts of it that you you diagrammed it and you had to go into it and really break it down because there's so much happening. Right. I feel like if you get to the middle of that track and you open a door and Lion Witch in the Wardrobe walk into that track, <laughs> this album is that spread out through an entire album. It kind of felt like it. But also not like separated by tracks still. Like you could still dive farther into all the parts of these different tracks. I didn't get the same the same like had to diagram feeling for this record as I did on the on the question. I just kind of for this one I I was like I I guess I expected it a bit more because I was looking through because as we've I've never listened to Emery before we started this podcast. I've now listened to 3 of their albums within like a like a month almost and and fairly extensively listened like yeah. not just and, listened oh yeah no it's not just like on in the background or anything like i listened multiple multiple times throughout the week uh actively listen and just try to get my notes down and you know my mindset on the album uh but i think i had like just just kind of expected there to be a lot of switches a lot of changes so i wasn't in the mindset where i had to diagram it I was just like, okay, let's see how many fucking pre-courses we have on this record. <laughs> so is th- does this feel like where you, and then I know you said you didn't really expect, you had, had no idea where you were expecting them to go. Is right. this kind of a progression you saw like that you could have expected, even if this wasn't the specific one? Slightly. With the question, we got that whole Panic at the Disco vibe going that I, I mentioned a lot on that uh, podcast, on that episode. Um this kind of strayed away from the panic at the disco so much, but then went way deeper into the more dancey stuff, at least on a couple tracks. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to be honest, if it wasn't for this podcast, I would have listened to this record one time and been like, nah, I'm good, man. Yep. Is there any negativity based from my disliking of walking on cars in no. this opinion? No, I, <laughs> I, 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 I took that to completely sure. out of it. Took it completely out of it. No emotions. Because um, I'm I'm going to be 100% honest. Yeah. There are times when I was listening to this where I was thinking, 
oh, I'm going to catch it for this part. I'm going to catch it for this part because there's some <laughs> things that are very, very similar to that album and some of those tracks on here. It's just it's just incredibly thick, poppy stuff that I could hear. I could be like, oh, that's very similar to this. And I may have not been the most positive about that. But again, <laughs> no, I'm the hypocritic. Yeah, so no, it's going to happen. Your, your review of Walking on Cars didn't come into play when I was listening to this record. Okay. But... Yeah, the the super dancey parts on um, was it the party song and then don't bore us. Those two almost completely took me out of this record. If it means anything, there are actually members of the band who feel the same way and didn't like it. But yeah. did you feel like this album may have like disassociated from itself? Like it didn't feel like a cohesive thought all the time. It just felt like a bunch of tracks put together. It did, but then like I kind of came back. It's weird. Because on this album, I had, like I said, with uh, the used record that we were just talking about, I had to work to listen to this thing. Like, like I said, if I had only listened to this one time, if it wasn't for the podcast, I would probably never have listened to this record again. Okay. But it took me until Friday to get to get this record. To, To get it. Yes. So how many do you know how many listens that was? It had to be at least 10. Okay. And do, do you feel like it was too much work to get there? Like, would you have preferred if you didn't work to get there? Or are you, does you feel satisfied that you get it now? Some, some parts of it. So okay. Okay. It, it's hard because I'm very, um, on upon first listen, I always have a pretty strong feeling. Mm-hmm. And then based on that strong feeling, I'll continue to listen to the record or I won't. With this podcast, the great thing about it is we're diving super deep into these records and it requires us to listen to these records multiple times, get all the feelings out of it, get our opinions out of every single track and to get the record. And it also becomes not like, what do I feel about the record? But why do I feel this about the record? Right. And that's that's part of that. Uh, part of my my feelings towards this record, I get a lot of Catholic guilt in this record. That's like an underlying theme for me on this record. It's it's funny because the way you said it, each track is its own track and they don't really sync up. They don't really go together at all. But the underlying theme for it is like deep Catholic guilt is what I felt. It's just the the songs were about things that you might not necessarily feel guilty about, but then there's one line or a couple lines in there that you're like, oh my God, I feel terrible for this. I, I think there are some astonishing, astonishing lyrics in this thing. Like there's some some lyric lines that I'm just like, how do you get there? Like, mm-hmm. how is that what's written? It just, and listening, investigating more into Emery as I have to, done a lot of research for this podcast since oh, it yeah. started. I've realized that the thing you talk about, about how songs transition and switch up. I watched a video about them talking about the studio update they're doing of this thing. Mm. And even the uh, producer who uh, is a producer on this, I'll get to that in a second. Sure. And it became, became Emery's producer from here on out. Like he's on every project oh, from okay. here on out. Sure. Um, and a member of the band, Matt Carter. He was talking about just, just how crazy some of the songs are, but also of how, they get bored if their songs aren't continually switching. They don't think it's a good song unless their their songs keep changing and moving and switching. Oh, okay. 
So I think that's also what gets me into them. I think it's part of that music ADHD that I just need the changes. I love it. I love every aspect of it. Right. Now, let me break you down some of the production because there is some weird stuff about this. Okay. First, the not so weird stuff. They spent six weeks in a studio at a horse ranch, um, Dark Horse Studio in Tennessee. It was their it was Emery's largest budget album, hundred thousand dollars plus. Okay, wow. Was was into this album. You can hear it. Their mixes alone cost three to four K, like each, wow. each each track. Each mix. Yeah. And fifty K for the studio. They had fifty guitars, twenty five amps, because they oh were just God. sponsored. Um oh, here's our drum fact, since we always have yeah, drum always facts. a drum fact. Uh, they recorded the drums analog onto two inch tape before putting it into Pro Tools. So all the drums were oh, analog, analog recorded. I like it. Okay, here's where things get a little interesting. <laughs> okay. The mixes were done by uh, mixer David Bendith, who um, he to completely produce the, the Riot Paramore album. He's a co-writer of Beartooth album, Aggressive. Okay. Um, he's even he's he's even the co-writer of a West Side Gun track. Oh, wow. So like this guy's just out there yeah um, he he was the one doing their mixes and he told the band by the way the band came out of the studio thinking they were going to make so much money off this album they oh. thought that this was going to destroy the airways because the question was hot like the question did very well on the charts and right. it was moving and selling and bendeth told the band there's no hits on this album okay yeah and then the band said well we thought party song could have been a hit and he said, it has a double intro. Come on. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> well, then we move on to the producers. So I said earlier, Matt Carter is a producer on this thing. The main producer is Ryan Bush or Ryan Bosch. I can't, I don't exactly know how it's pronounced. But Ryan was an engineer for Ross Robinson. Are you familiar with Ross Robinson? I don't believe so, no. He discovered Axe, discovered, I'm saying discovered Axe, such as Corn, Glassjaw, The Blood Brothers, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, and also worked with Tech Nine, The Cure, Sepultura, and many more. Whoa. So this guy, Ryan Bush, was just an engineer that worked for Ross Robinson. So they brought him in to be the producer, but he's not a producer. Right. Okay. So Matt Carter tried to step in also because he knew something was wrong. He knew that there was something in the album that... Basically, you need a producer there. You need a producer to put the energy and the flow and just like a, a cohesive thought with the whole album together. And they didn't have that. And Matt Carter recognized that, too. But he also didn't have that producer talent. Right. At, at Yet, because he does become their producer. But okay. at this point, you just so basically this album doesn't have a producer. It, it just wow. doesn't like it, it was an engineer. And then Matt Carter stepping in to assist with it. You And you can kind of get that feel for it, too. Yes. Like now that yes. you say that, it kind of makes sense to me. Uh, and here's a, a fun fact about Matt Carter that uh, may not matter to anybody, but I thought it was interesting. He completely mixed the Billy Woods album, History Will Absolve Me. And I don't know if you know who Billy Woods is. He's half of Arm and Hammer. Oh, gotcha. Okay. With uh, Elucid. Yeah. And this was actually the album that started Arm and Hammer because he brought Elucid on to most of the tracks. I think it was 16 out of the 18 tracks of this. Oh, wow. Neat. Okay. So, and Matt Carter mixed all of that, which if you think that one of the members and producers of Emery is kind of responsible for, for Arm and Hammer. Hammer. That's cool. It's just one of those wild butterfly effects. Yeah, that is cool. Um, when the album was released, it went to number 78 on the Billboard 200. Okay, that's not bad. It was there for one week and then it, it fell off the charts. That was it, huh? One week at 78 and then it fell off the charts. Oof. Yeah, that, that's hard to hard to handle when you have huge expectations of yourself. 
after the question was delivering and they thought that, yeah, we're guys, this is going to change our lives. It's going to be everything. But after the band thought they were going to make a lot of money with the album and then it undersold and underperformed in any way imaginable, it's they, they all say that it gave them a completely different relationship with music, like coming mm-hmm. off of this album. Like they all like they all were questioning the longevity of the band. Wow. They all were like um, vocalist Devin Shelton's called this album one of the most disrespected albums of all time. <laughs> it was a decline for this band after this album. Wow. Like they all were questioning themselves. They were all questioning the music business as a whole. I feel bad for not liking it that much now. See, there's the freaking guilt. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> you weren't yeah. alone. Because I think that if if anything, this is Emery at their most honest. Like this is Emery going full Emery. Mm-hmm. Whereas before we had Emery doing a scene record. Emery right. doing a scene influenced emo record into Emery doing a Emery pop record. And I think that's them. I think they're just artists. Like, I just right. think they're just artists and that's what they wanted to do. But you're not alone because most of their fans were vocal that they didn't like this direction. They didn't like where they didn't like anything. And it was done. And I loved this album. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could separate myself from my nostalgia with this. I really don't. Because it, 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 to me, this album is so seeded within me. Yeah. And th- let's be honest, this is the album that created this podcast. Right. This is the one you wanted me to listen to. This is first. the one I wanted you to listen to because yeah. I sent you that one track acoustically. And you were like, that's interesting. It was it was the the closer on this, actually. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to the closer, <laughs> by the way. Uh, okay. <laughs> but... Yeah, this is what birthed this podcast. And I, I love this album so much. Every time I listen to this, it, I feel like I'm unlocking like more core memories inside myself. Like mm. I'm like, oh, this is another like I, I. I Every track on this thing, like there's something tied within me to at least every track. And then and then listening as an adult and hearing different things. And uh, there's especially a part on After the Devil Beats His Wife. Um, and not not to bring it down a little bit, but. Um, and now I'm here. My best friend died and I'm the one that's still alive. And that's... I had a I had a best friend that I lost this year. So, you know, just not to bring it down, but, you know, R.I.P. Tim, gone but not forgotten. I had that same reaction. Like I've had a few friends of mine pass away. And yeah, that that line right there is the Catholic guilt in that song for me. And there's a lot of this album that hearing it now, though. Like I hear the religion and the Christianity behind it. But when I listened to it the first time, I didn't like I, I did. I didn't reference any of that stuff with the right. religion. Like, yeah. I guess you don't have faith when I was listening to it. It was I guess you don't have faith in me. Like, that's what I like. I never connected the religion to it before. Yeah. See that. And that's like uh, this is the most religious I've heard this band so far. Oh, and there's definitely moments that sound like youth group. Like I, yeah. ca- I thought I was gonna catch some stuff from that because I mentioned of how the Walking on Cars album reminded right. me of youth group. There's a lot of stuff in here, and but this one actually has points because they were in youth group. They were. <laughs> God, I guess I got a couple reviews I can go into real quick. Yeah, go into the reviews, and then I'll I'll hit you with some of the stuff I I got from this. Uh, first one from jesusfreakhideout.com because they were reviewing every Emory album. Gave it four and a half out of five stars. Lindsay Wiseman said, and I quote, overall, this album delivers the essentials that Emory fans tend to look for. Lyrical depth, beautiful instrumentals, and touching vocals. Okay. I don't know how you go, you give four and a half and then say, eh, it delivers what we expected. Yeah, that's, that's, 
Odd. Um, this one is is a little weird because I think it used to be the website used to be absolutepunk.net or dot org and it mm-hmm. turned into chorus FM. But I don't oh, know okay. if they moved I don't know if they moved the reviews over or if they re-reviewed them and put this year. I don't I'm not sure. So okay. um this is from Chorus FM, maybe Absolute Punk. Blake Solomon, who either gave this a 67% or neutral, because I read that Absolute Punk had it at 67. I don't know if they just changed the percentages to like neutral, positive, negative. I, oh, I don't okay. Know. But neutral on this album. Emery have brought us more of the same. I'm not asking for wheel reinvention, especially after seeing what the addition of synthesizers did, but maybe a little more frenzy and a lot fewer queen impersonations will do the trick. I, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of my notes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's definitely some some queen things. Oh, heavy ones. And remember, remember these guys are not, like the ages of the scene. Yeah, they're not. Oh, yeah, they're older than the rest of the scene. Yeah, I think I just got I just figured out that Toby, the lead singer, is 45 now. Wow. So this album came out in 07. 14 years ago. So 31 in 07. Yeah. So they put this album out when I mean, I'm going to say they were all about the same age. I'm not exactly sure. I, like I said, I've tried to figure their ages out. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but not really. But it's it gives it a different perspective. Yeah, so they put they put this out as like the artists thinking that this is it, like this is where I'm we're we're gonna break. And uh, lead singer Toby actually has said, and this made me chuckle. He said the the one one of the main things that keeps him believing as in God is that he can't get too successful. He said, no matter how much work I put in, no matter how hard I work, no matter how good I think what I put out is, I just cannot get too successful. And that's why I still believe in God. <laughs> that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a reason that their uh, whole network is called Bad Christian. Right. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a track by track breakdown? Do you have just individual things? What do you I have? have- not track by track. I, I got notes for just a few of them and a few of them I already touched on. So. Okay. You know, party song and don't bore us. You didn't like the really poppy parts, is what I'm guessing. Yeah, the super dancey poppy parts. I wasn't feeling it. I knew you wouldn't like "Don't Bore Us." Get us to the chorus. I knew you wouldn't like that one. Yeah, that one's how. How do you feel about the like the modulated "Can't Stop the Killer"? That was another note I had. I don't like the vocal effects they had on that. Okay. There was and there was another part in another song. I want to say it was the closer. I think it was from Craig the Coffin where there was a slight just like I think it was like a minute long vocal part where they had that that effect on the guy's vocal that I was like, it's not necessary. It kind of took and it kind of took me out of the song. And that may lend itself to uh, didn't have a producer to say that it could be just had people looking at it sonically and listening to it and be like, yeah, by itself, it sounds cool. But like you said, if it's taking you out of everything, it's yeah. Not gonna... And that's the thing, like "Can't Stop the Killer." I I did like that track up until he got up to that point where his vocals took on that effect, and I was just like, "This is pulling me out of the vibe." And then, like, I couldn't get back into it by the end of the song, and I was just like, "I just felt weird." And there was a lot of tracks on this record that had that. Like, that's why I don't have a whole lot of notes on like track by track because I couldn't really get a hold on what I was thinking 
at least it doesn't, first... it doesn't give you time. It doesn't yeah. give you time to think about a track. Yeah. It just changes and you're, you're in like a different track within the same track. Yeah. And it's like, usually I take my notes like on Wednesday, like mid of the week, uh, because by then I'll have like my, my first couple listens down and I'll have my actual, my, my initial feeling. And then I can get into deep diving onto each individual track and then form my opinions from there. This one, like I said, it took me until Friday to even get this thing. Um, but now like I, like I can sing along to the songs, the parts that I like. Um, yeah. But there's definite parts that like will throw me out of a track that I'm just like, okay, move on to the next one. And, and you said it's mainly the poppy stuff that pulls you out of it. Like it's mainly the dancey poppy stuff. Those ones did on those tracks. Okay. But there's, there's things in the other tracks that will pull you out too, just randomly. Well, like the, the the opener, the first track, rock and roll. It has that. Yes, rock and roll has that first like fifteen second intro that I was like, yes, I love this. And then it goes into that like little old timey bugle sound for two seconds, <laughs> and then jumps into the rest of the track. I'm like, what the hell just happened? And and I knew listening to that that you wouldn't like that. And I love that. Like I think that's I think that's one of those things that's part of this album that without that and that weirdness and me being familiar with it, that like I don't think I understood music could do what this album does. Like mm-hmm. I think that this album was so different than anything I was listening to that I didn't think music could be this non-conventional. I guess that's right. the word of the day. I don't I don't think I knew that this could happen. And that's why I love it and that's why it made me more adventurous in music. Sure. And I I get that. I guess um it depends on the time in which you listen to it. So for me, I have already been musically adventurous in my life. I know what I like and my my tastes are eclectic. The little spontaneous parts in the in this record, I guess, would have helped form that view of music for me had I listened to it earlier on in my life. But now it just part of it felt like they were trying too hard to sound different because I'm listening to it, you know, and. 2021 but this came out of the same scene that we the kings like check yes juliet's coming out like it's an entirely different style than that right so yeah i don't know it's just it's all a matter of it's all a matter of when you hear things i guess like for you this is like severely nostalgic oh yeah i can't separate it i'm at that point i know i can't i know i can't i love every turn in this i love every change i love every weird part everything right I've I've listened to this. I I specifically did not listen to this album after we started the podcast because I knew we would eventually get here, and I wanted to revisit it so bad. I saw oh, those right. uh, I saw those couple videos of the couple tracks they redid, and I said, "Oh, I need to get back to that album." And I've listened to this thing so many times this week, like oh, yeah. unbe- like so many times. The studio update came on vinyl, and I still haven't listened to it yet because I didn't want to influence it with this. Right. But I like like I did run through the studio update once this morning after I already had everything like written down and everything good to go. Sure. And I do want to ask, is there anything I could say to get you to listen to that studio update? Like would, would it have to be an argument or would you check it out? No, I check it out. And like I said, at this point I finally get it. 
it's still it's probably my least favorite emory record right now okay that we've listened to um but yeah i could probably check it out at least once just to see what changes there were because this one is still fresh in my mind i guess i'm still working with this record if i wanted to just give it like a quick mission statement just to get you to listen to it Mm -hmm. like if you were off i would think that it's like if this album was ran through like a you know a planer like people would you know would yeah, you run it through a planer and this this just takes off the electronic poppy parts and leaves the analog album i think that's what you would get into it about and it okay. that's what it is it definitely sounds much more analog they definitely sound like much more cohesive songs mm. there are still some poppy moments here and there but right. i think that if that was the album who you are today, I think, would get into that one before this one. Probably. The way you just explained it made me intrigued. Because I like it. By the way, the reason they did a studio update, and I had to look this up too, um, is because they were signed to Tooth & Nail, but Tooth & Nail is owned by Universal. Universal has their masters, so they couldn't make a vinyl. Yeah. So it's kind of like what Taylor Swift's doing right now, is she's re-recording all her music, and that's what Emery did for the studio update. And I'm going to be honest, I'm still happy I have it on vinyl, even a studio update. Right. I, I, I don't think I could say yet how I feel studio update versus OG. I mm. think that my heart will always lie with the OG, but I'm Probably. not anti studio update. And I liked what I heard today. It's just, you know, a little different. I think it's I think it's the, 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 it's the two different Emery's. I think you couldn't get to the studio update without having that one. But also they know who they are also. Right. So what are your top tracks on this thing? Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I definitely have top three. Okay. And then but, you have like a bottom, bottom, hard bottom <laughs> seven. No, I, I. it's very... So I have my top three. I have my bottom two. And the rest just kind of are meh for me. Uh, my top three is World Away. Is number one? I, these are just kind of top three. World Away is my number one. Hands down. Is it? That's great. And it wasn't before this run through like that was just a track that was on the album. I would have told you that after the devil beats his wife is my number one overall, because that I, that's that's the one I remember the most from this. I really do enjoy the party song, too. And I know you don't, but I yeah, really no. do enjoy the party song. <laughs> that's my bottom, too. But Worlds Away is my number one. And then after the devil beats his wife is my number two. OK, mine is what makes a man a man. I, I knew you would like that song. That's a very that's a very me feeling song. Did you also like uh, Man with a Broken Heart? It, OK, I did. But the the content of the lyrics kind of took me out. OK, that was a very strong guilt feeling. So do you think that the guilt is the matured version of the angst like the angst was the scene and then it matures into guilt it could be because i like maybe in 2007 i'd be listening to this and like chuckle at that but at at the age of i'm 40 in three months or four months (laughs) um you just feel it different you know what i mean you're just like oh man no that there's so many bad mistakes going on here that inevitable consequences are going to catch up and it's going to be the worst. And like, I just can't imagine having that amount of weight on a single decision that was just bad to begin with. Yeah. Like that, the lyrical content of that one took me out of that one. 
But the musical content of it, I did enjoy. See, I feel like if it wasn't for the poppier moments that you already talked about in the modulation on Can't Stop the Killer, I feel like that's a song right up your alley, at least up until that part. It was. And like I said, like I I did dig that song until that happened. And then like it confused me and took me out. And then the song was over. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. And that was that was one of the ones where like I had to work on listen i probably listened to that song and think the movie song i listened to a whole lot too just to see if i could get a better handle on it and i couldn't yeah the movie song and again as much as i love it that is one that i could admit it's it's a little out there it's a little too it's a little too something but i can't right but you don't know what it is yeah 100 percent. my third my third top song is from crypto coffin okay i'm gonna throw a wrench in the works because How long is from Crypto Coffin? Ten minutes long. Yeah, it's my third favorite track off this album. Whoa, what? Yeah, I, no I think you hate I, long songs. I do, and this thing, I, I love every. I love how much it changes. I love how it starts. I love how it gets super just electronic. Okay. I love how wow it this, has you. It has oh, such man. a heavy. It has such a heavy build up and crescendo towards the end. It is. I love this track. I have in my notes that this is Emery's Radiohead OK Computer Era song. <laughs> so I so I'd like Radiohead then. Let's go, I guess. <laughs> For real. Like there is so the main part of the song, the first 4 minutes, I absolutely loved. Loved it. If it had stopped there, it would be my favorite track of all Emery's songs okay. that I've heard. But then it takes off. Then it takes off at five, at five minutes. Like it, it, it has that that like one minute. I guess I did kind of diagram the song. Um, oh. it, it takes a one minute musical interlude into his vocal effects come on at five minutes, right around there. And from there, it takes a definite Radiohead turn. And before Friday. I would have said this was not one of my favorite songs. I only had two top three songs before Friday. Okay. When I realized that this was Radiohead-esque and I let that sink into my mind as I listened to it, I didn't mind the switch over so much because I was just like, okay, yeah, I can, this is very Tom York all of a sudden. Like I, I dug it and then it, it just, it's a closer. So it goes on forever and, drops out but yeah no i ended up really liking this and it is very heavily like radiohead influenced even if it wasn't influenced directly by radiohead it sounds like it well now now i'm worried though because this this song is such a different track that i would normally have as a favorite track mm-hmm. maybe i maybe i don't know if i could handle a whole album of that like if if it's if this is it's, a whole radiohead album i don't know if i can handle it not the, the that album when you said you hadn't listened to a Radiohead album earlier this podcast this episode uh, I wrote down OK Computer as the one I'm going to give you okay because there's some OK Computer feelings on the end of this track that I think you'll end up enjoying it and not every song on OK Computer is is that it's just that's definitely a feeling I got from this track. I knew I would throw a wrench into the works because I don't like long songs. No, you I don't. normally and every Emery closer is usually long or does something different. 
I, I loved this track and to the point where I didn't want to listen to it too much. Okay. Because it's it's one of those things I was like, man, I love this track so much. But it, it starts out, that first four is heavy. Like, Dude, that's it's a heavy, so good. It's a heavy first so four. So good, yeah. And it, I didn't want to ruin it or, like, I didn't want to maybe feel it too strongly. So then I, sure. like, have a negative opinion. Like, oh, no, I, I don't want to listen to that. It's too sad. <laughs> right, I get it. Um, I So when we were talking before, we had discussed um, not listening to the bonus track that was on this or you messaged me um, that we were going to cut it at from crib to coffin. And I said, cool. So for the first, you know, half of the week, I, I stopped it at, um, I stopped it there, but the version that I downloaded had the, the extra song, uh, whoa man on it. So I, then I got my opinions based on rock and rule to from crib to coffin. I thought I could go on to whoa man and just give it a feel, see what their bonus track sounded like. Uh, if we had a top four, this would be on my top four. The song is really good. I haven't listened to the bonus track. Right. Because I, I've listened in, because, and I mainly said that because the studio update didn't include the bonus track. So I just assumed that they don't consider it a part of the album if it's not on the studio update. Sure. Um, but you, you liked it a lot. I don't, I don't yeah, remember it, it at all. I don't remember it at all. More of a, more of a me type song for Emery, I guess. Um, not a whole lot of change ups. He might have had that effect on his vocals for us for a second, but overall, I dug the extra track. Like, part of me wishes it would have had a spot on the record. Yeah, I was gonna say it had to feel weird if you were listening to it after from Crib to Coffin, like and after it, you come out of that, and then that's what you're into. Yeah, it, it it definitely was a bonus track based on just its spot on the okay. on where the record it would have been like after from crib to coffin, but had they worked it into the track listing somewhere in the middle of the record, I would have dug it. Okay. Next up, because we're talking and comparing tracks, let's go to the bookend test. Yeah. Uh, the bookend test where you take the first track of the album, the last track of the album, play them back to back. See if, see what journey you can pinpoint through there. If the, if you can find one first track rock and roll to last track from crib to coffin bookend test. What say you huge journey? gigantic journey we, we are talking yeah just yeah huge journey it goes from what opens to be i think rock and roll also sounds like an attempt attempt is strong because i don't think they ever wrote any of the songs to be on the radio i think they wrote what songs they wanted to write but then realized oh we think these could go on the radio so the first one, a very, it's, it's, I think rock and roll could be a very radio friendly track. And then from Crib to Coffin, I don't think you could play that on a radio outside of like Not just one guy, one guy's radio in his garage. Like that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and even the, the religious undertones between the two songs, there was a, a big leap. I got super, I wrote down, I feel kind of faith shamed uh, as a note <laughs> for rock and roll <laughs> from Crib to Coffin. I don't know. I just, I love that track. That first four is so good. It, this might be one of the first. No, I th I'm th we definitely had some of the same tracks as favorites, but this is the biggest one that was unexpected. Yeah, I totally didn't expect you to pick from Crib to Coffin at all. Yeah, I, I and I do. <laughs> And it, it was hard for me to admit it. Like, I, I was like, I could put all, 
put all these other songs here. I could put this track, this track, this track. But then when it came down to it, I was like, no, I I love that crescendo this morning. I don't know if I was in such a headspace. I don't know where I was at. <laughs> but when that crescendo this morning, like I almost teared up a little bit. Like the crescendo ah. on that song hit me so hard. I was like, oh, my God. God, this is just heavy. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a good track. It is a really good track. All right, well, I guess I'll ask you the the penultimate question at this point. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know where it goes because I, I don't think I could see you. The only way you could own this at this point, at least on vinyl, because in my head, that's kind of what I always have for Throne Owner Grown is buy it on vinyl buy it on because vinyl. it's a yeah. It's That's not us. just a CD you pick up. Yeah. Um, I could see you owning this, but probably not this version. Like I could see you listening to the studio update and buying that based on what that sounds like. Sure. Maybe than this. So, but I, I need to know off this version, even though it's you can't get it on a vinyl except for the studio update. Right. Um, Scott, Emery's I'm only a man, thrown owner grown. Closest to grown that we're gonna get, I think. Okay. Only only Based on those two tracks, those two tracks take me out of this record completely. Like it, it's so the, the dancey parts are so dancey, <laughs> and they just they don't feel like they belong to me. If you were listening to this in your car driving around Ireland, maybe you'd be have a different opinion. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. The thing is, I think at the beginning of the week, I had heavy grown hard grown hard grown but by the by friday i was like you know what i could own this it's not something i would listen to on heavy rotation but i i think i woke up friday morning with one of the songs stuck in my head i woke up singing i I think i woke up singing what makes a man a man and i was like oh i do kind of get this and then I went to work and listened to it while I was at work. And I was like, I've caught myself singing along. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. So it's, I don't want to say it's full on grown, but I could definitely own it, but probably wouldn't listen to it all that often. Unless, unless the studio update is more like you said, where they kind of shaved off some of the dancey electro stuff. Then it's a strong contender for own possibly thrown depending. So let's put a bookmark in it. Okay. And will you commit to listening to the studio update at least once before next episode? Yeah, I'll, I'll listen to it this week. Cause I, I already know what I'm giving you and I know my opinions on the record I'm giving you. So you don't have to listen to it. I don't have to listen to it. This is a record I've listened to a million times. All right. Well, what was your album of the week? Uh, This week I went way back um, and I listened to the Doors first self-titled record a lot this week. What's on it? What are are there hits on it? Oh yeah. Uh, Light My Fire, uh, Break On Through to the Other Side. The big you know, yeah, um, it's their first record. Uh, the reason I went back to it is because uh, Robbie Krieger, the guitarist for The Doors, came out with an autobiography on Tuesday. It dropped, um, picked it up, and been listening to The Doors heavy. Now, I I don't want to say just that record because I've been listening to their entire discography, but that one, I, just a pinpoint one record that I listened to, it would be that one. Um, huge fan of the doors. I have been since I was like 
15, 16, 17, around there. And Robbie Krieger has always been the quiet one who never released an a biography or autobiography or really did much press. And when he did do press, he kind of, uh, he would change up his answers to certain questions. So you never got a full honest story from him, uh, which is fantastic. I friggin' love that. Um, it makes me laugh, but finally, yeah, I put out a book. I'm 210 pages into it or something like that. I'll finish it up in the next couple of days, but uh, that really got me to go back uh, to the Doors Back catalog. Not that I have a <laughs> any other kind of catalog, but I went through their entire discography and listened to everything. And uh, yeah, so we'll we'll say the uh, the first Doors record is my record of the week. You may have to bring a Doors record to me sometime because even though I have listened to the Doors, yeah, I they're in that weird spot for me. Okay. Uh, kind of like the kind of like the Beatles where one of those that my dad listened to, to them so often mm. that it kind of became like a oh, do I have do we have to listen to the Doors of the Beatles sure. again? I got gotcha. you. Like can I can can I listen to something different? Cuz I, I can't say listen. I've never examined a Doors album. I guess sure. I could say. Okay. My album of the week uh <laughs> I mean, it's kind of if we'll allow it, I'll say it's Emery's I'm Only a Man, the OG. Like, <laughs> I love I love this album. Sure. But if we're being real, I'll throw it out. It's um, Rome Street's album Genesis 127 and Rome Street's newest Griselda signee. OK. And he's on he's on his boldy shit where he's dropped three albums this year already. Oh, man. Like, three and i want to say that west side gun has something to do with that like i think when he has new people he's like hey just start dropping just start dropping sure and uh rome's dangerous i think rome streets is a danger. i i would like you to listen to i'll have to maybe maybe not genesis but I dive into just some of his stuff okay because i know it's it's i mean if he signed to griselda you kind of know what you're expecting oh yeah i'm into griselda yeah he he has some some bars that I mean, he's dangerous. There's a bar on this thing where he says, you couldn't hang if I gave you the rope to lynch yourself. Jesus. <laughs> Whoa. He he goes off like it's 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 definitely something. Oh, man, that's that's a bar. But uh, yeah, my album of the week is Rome Streets Genesis 127. Um, it's actually Rome Streets and Ankle John. I think Ankle John produces the whole thing. Okay. All right. Well, then lay it on me. What am I listening to next week? You will be listening to a record that came out in 1986. Okay. So the oldest record that we've listened to so far for this podcast, quite possibly. Uh, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to give that opinion on it. I'm not going to give you any opinion. <laughs> You'll be listening to Master of Puppets from Metallica. Okay. We've talked about Metallica briefly before. Right. This is one where my uh, my friends and I agree on this record, but disagree on other Metallica things. Um, now, after we're done here, I'm going to send something to you because I listened to a Mortification record this week that mm-hmm. sounded like Metallica to me. And oh, I've wow. never listened to I've never listened to a full Metallica album. Right. That's why I'm giving you this one. I've listened to some hits. Well, the hits. And then I think I had a weird covers album they did. did yes. Did they do like Garage a covers Inc. album? Garage Inc. was a bunch of covers stuff. Did they cover uh, "Last Caress" by the Misfits? Yes. Yeah, I had that then. That, yeah. That's that was that's about the extent of my Metallica collection. I had that covers gotcha. album. So this is this record is before the big hits. So okay. the the big hits like "Enter Sandman," yeah, you know that era Metallica. That's the Black Album, which came 
two records after this one that I'm giving you. In my head, Metallica is super thrashy until yes. Enter Sandman. That's that's, and then I feel like they veer away from it. But that I don't I don't know if any of that's true. We'll we'll get into it next week. We'll cover that next week. Yeah. Um, so uh, Master of Puppets by Metallica will, will be next week's album. Yes. Um, follow us on Twitter at AYLpod. Uh, we're working on getting the pod up on different platforms as well. So if you listen to pods anywhere else other than Spotify, we're working on those. Um, currently working on getting up on Google Podcasts and uh, Apple Podcasts will be coming up soon too, hopefully. Fingers crossed. In the process. Uh, yeah. And interact with the Twitter. All you can, all you can, will. Mm. Yeah. I didn't like how that, I didn't like how that sentence went, but we're going to go, we're going to roll with it. <laughs> Next week will be Master of Puppets by Metallica. So, uh, Scott, thank you. Yeah. It should be fun. And um, are you listening? Are you listening? Fast words.